Hello, and welcome to Leather Talk with Mr. Bullet Leather 2020. I'm your host, Brandon. Today's guest has been in the leather community for over 15 years. He shares his experiences as a bear and pup, as well as his unique perspective within the scene as an Asian American. Later on, we'll get into some hot topics, including bondage, rubber, and pup play. Get ready for some more Leather Talk. Everybody, this is Brandon, your Mr. Bullet Leather 2020, and today we have Pup Yoshi. Uh, Yoshi, would you mind uh, introducing yourself, please? Sure. Um, my name is Pup Yoshi, or Yoshi, uh, Mr. Eagle 562 uh, Leather 2018. I was the first Mr. Eagle 562 Leather. Uh, I've been involved in the community for about 16 or 17 years. Um, first starting out in the bear community, but then moving more into the leather kink pup community over the years. Um, live in Long Beach and I'm currently on the board of uh, Onyx Southwest serving as the uh, pledge master and also on the board of the foundation, which is uh, in charge of the visibility project. Um, the uh, Ms. Mix and uh, Los Angeles Blue Black titles, as well as our currently, we are sponsoring the um, Angel City Emergency Fund to help those in the leather and uh, king communities here in Southern California who've been impacted by everything that's been going on. That's really awesome. It sounds like you're pretty involved with a lot of things. Um, some of those uh, organizations, I'm sure people might not be familiar with. I, I know we, we've talked about Onyx before on this podcast, but would you mind maybe a uh, uh, explaining some of the, the other organizations you mentioned? Sure. So uh, Foundation is an organization that came up. Um, uh, Scarlett, uh, who many of us, who many folks know here in Southern California, as well as um, around the country and around the world, really. Um, and Cypher asked me to be involved with this organization. It started out with the Visibility Project, and if you're, what the, the mission of the visibility project is basically to provide um, folks with the ability to identify with themselves when they walk into a space. So if you've ever walked into a bar, uh, they, it, it all started with, uh, it was actually, someone mentioned, wouldn't it be great if you walked into a bar, if you, if you walked into an event and you saw a flag or a symbol that identified um that was a symbol, a symbol of who you are and what your identity was. So, for example, I'm, I'm a cis man. I identify as man, as a gay male, and um, so, and I'm in a leather and pup community. So those flags are usually around for me. But if you're someone who's trans, um, or if you're a little, or um, you know, you're you're in, you're asexual you may not see those kinds of um, symbols when you walk into a space. So 
the idea of the visibility project was basically to, we have sets of flags that we lend out to organizations that are putting on events and allow folks to put up those flags so that uh, when someone walks into a space, they're able to see a symbol um, that they can identify with. Um, it's a way for folks to feel welcome and accepted. It's a visual symbol um, that this space is a space that welcomes them. That's awesome. And did you did you guys org, uh, design those flags on your own or did they exist already and just brought yeah, them they forth? Exist, they exist already. I mean, okay. it's, the, the joke is there are quite, there are lots of different flags out there, right? And it right. seems like it's always a flag for something. It's like, oh, there's a new flag for this. And it, it may seem overwhelming, but for if you're somebody who identifies with that community, it's really important to you. Right. To be able to see that there, that, hey, somebody is, is thinking about me and someone has made the symbol that I can identify with. And I know that by seeing this, um, I'm accepted here. I'm, this is a safe space. That's really awesome. Speaking of visibility um, and just identifying with, you you talked about in the beginning that you identified first as part of the bear community and then mm-hmm. you got into the leather community. Um, how did that how did that work out? Well, when I met my husband, he was um, heavily involved in the bear community. So he introduced me to to that. You know, I would go to pool parties and events that were sponsored by um, Bears LA and some of the other bear organizations uh, here in Southern California. Okay. Um, I had a lot of fun with that. Um, my husband was also involved in leather and kink as well. So that, that just is something that kind of took place over time. We started off with the bear community and then we started to become more involved uh, with the leather and kink scene. Now, would you say um, that bear and leather kind of exist very closely to each other or are they oftentimes pretty separate? They, they start, there is certainly some overlap. There are some bears who are kinky, but um, there, are, there are also bears that are not. Okay. Um, so when you, I, I, the only, I know you're from Hawaii, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I know that from hearing you actually on a previous podcast, um, the competition, those of you that are listening, go take a, a look at the competition. It's a really amazing podcast. Uh, they talk about the um, Los Angeles leather competition in 2018, uh, which you competed for. But I want to know when you moved to, from Hawaii to California, when was the first time that you experienced leather? Was that prior to your relationship? No, it really was when I met my husband. That was that was my really my first introduction to it. I was pretty pretty vanilla gay until okay. that, point. and yeah, I met my husband and he invited me over to his house the next the day after we met, and he said, "Yeah, I'm going to tie you up." And like, well, I've never really been tied up before. <laughs> Maybe, maybe maybe you could just tie me up a little. Like, I don't really understand what you like a little was, but right. um, yeah, I, I really didn't know what I was getting into, um, but I had a great time and that, I was hooked after that. That's really hot. Were you like scared at first? I really, I mean, thinking back on it, I should, probably should have been. You know, <laughs> guy's house and he's going to tie me up, but um, he's a really sweet guy and he's very charismatic and I was lucky. He was, he, it was, it was intriguing, exciting and hot all at the same time. And even though it was, you know, there was that 
sense of danger, I felt like I could trust him. You know, I wasn't, I never felt like he was going to do something to me that, that would hurt yeah, I, I didn't feel like he was going to hurt me or anything like yeah. that. So that's probably why I showed up the next day. <laughs> that's really awesome. And I'm, I wonder, and you don't have to go into this detail if you, if you don't want, but uh, would you mind maybe like describing a little bit of the scene? I mean, it was your first experience, so I, I'm, yeah. I'm guessing it was probably imprinted into your mind. Um, there's some details that I remember. I think he, I think when I got there, I think he blindfolded me and he took me into the bedroom and he tied me up and that the rest of it is kind of a blur. I don't remember the exact details. I think I got flogged. I think I got spanked. I definitely got fucked, nice. uh, but it was hot. And, um, I was definitely in for more after that. <laughs> so I've never been actually in bondage. I've been I'm, I've been curious about it. Is it you said you were been you were blindfolded and, and then tied up and and then you can't remember really that much afterwards? Was it like a sensory overload kind of? Well, it, it was definitely a sensory overload, and it was also sixteen years ago. So oh, yeah, I remember a little fuzzy on that. But what I what I one of the things that I like to do is volunteer for the leather tents at pride and i like talking to people who come in and the first question that i always ask them is you know what would i what do you think of when i say the word bondage or leather or uh, bdsm Mm -hmm. and the first word out of their mouth is pain Hmm. because that's what they that's what they see they see somebody get spanked and like oh my gosh it's like why would you willingly allow that to happen to yourself but what I tell folks is that, you know, bondage and kink, those kinds of activities, what they do is they they focus your attention and focus your senses. If I blind, if you're blindfolded, or if I um, tie your hands around your back and I start just tickling you or flogging you or doing something to you, the fact that you can't move or you can't see what really what's going on, it forces your senses to to go to places that they don't normally go. You know, if you can't see or if you can't move, your your body is just that much more aware. And it, that's what that's what the headspace that um, a lot of kink players will talk about. It's like stepping out of yourself. That's that to me anyway is the attraction. Yeah, definitely. I feel the same way in a in a lot of uh, of my other kinks and fetishes. Um, and I have been curious about the bondage thing. So is bondage your your like your main fetish or do you have other kinks that you dabble in? Um, yeah, that, that's definitely one of them. But um, I also have a sports gear fetish. So I really like um, singlets and jocks and sports uniforms, uh, sports kit. I, I really like that. Put play, obviously. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, play. Um, I started to get more involved with rubber as well and latex as a, as a fetish. That's That's been something that's new too so yeah i've always been curious about the the latex and the, and the rubber thing and I, i've talked to a couple of people and they they mentioned you know that it's like like a like a second skin like it's like it's right up against your skin how would mm-hmm. you describe uh the fetish for yourself well it, part of it is transforming your body to look like something else you know when you're in a cat suit the whole superhero look right where you're in really, really tight clothes and you look really cool and you were, and especially if it's all slicked up, it looks, it really, it really does look hot. <laughs> and um, yeah, just the 
just the feeling of tightness. Some people like to use sleep sacks, you know, where you get in and you're like in a cocoon and uh, you're all bound up and you can't move. In some ways, rubber can kind of be like that, feeling the pressure and the sensation all over you. So whenever you move, you're just aware of that. Um, that's a really unique feeling too. Uh-huh. And so uh, you mentioned, I mean, obviously you're a pup Yoshi. And so how did you get into the pup scene? My, yeah, my husband is the enabler for all of it. Gladly, gladly. I, I went willingly, <laughs> gladly. Um, yeah, so I, I don't know how he heard about it, but he heard there was a group of pups, the LA pups, a million years ago. I went to, he had heard about it and he went to, uh, he and I, he said, you know, I think this is something that you would really enjoy. So we went to um, a meetup that they had. Can't remember if it was at Eagle LA or at, well, it was at Fault Mine. I, I don't remember. I think it was at the Eagle. It, uh, the folks where they were there were Don Mike, who you've talked to on this podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I don't know if you've met, but you know she's been around for a long time too, and some other folks, and they kind of were my introduction into pup play. And when I started to get involved with it and I started to learn more about what it was, it's like, oh my gosh, this is so natural. It just fits. It fits my personality uh, completely. I'm curious to know. I've talked to several pups, and uh, you 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 heard uh, Don Mike in his episode about pup play. It seems to me that every time I talk to a pup, they have a, their own kind of uh, of take on uh, what they get out of being a pup. And so, what is it for you? Is it more of like a, a headspace thing, or a, is it a, out of you know putting the hood on? And what is it that gets you off? Yeah, I mean, there's certainly the there's multiple sides of it for me, I guess. And you're right. Every person who's involved in pup play takes something different out of it. For me, I enjoy pupping out. You know, I enjoy um, going in a mosh with my hood on and uh, playing with other puppies. I enjoy the sexual side of it as well. Um, not all pups play sexually in pup space. I do. I like it. But I think what it is more for me is just kind of an attitude and an outlook on life. Being my pup personality is kind of playful, um, a little mischievous, and it just kind of seeps into your regular personality in ways that you just don't really expect. Um, I was at lunch with my husband and one of my uh, coworkers, and the food came. And he turned to me and in kind of handler voice said, Hey, doesn't this food look good? And I just barked. It was, <laughs> it came out of my mouth because it was so natural. It's like, okay, this is, this is how I'm conditioned to talk. And I was, as the bark was leaving my mouth, I was just mortified. Like, I can't believe I just barked. <laughs> and my coworker just turned to me like, did you just bark? <laughs> and fortunately, my husband was like, oh, he just gets excited about food sometimes. Like, thank you. <laughs> I love that. That's that's really funny. Uh, when So when was like your first experience like being a pup? You know, I, I'm sure for some people it seems so far out. That, yeah. How would you even like jump into that? Um, you know, honestly, I don't really remember a whole lot of that it was you know it was quite a while ago 
Um, I think I think we because there just wasn't that big of a pub scene at that time. It really was just a few of us around. Um, mm-hmm. We would get together for smaller play dates, and we would kind of mosh. And then I went to Folsom or Dory one year and went up to mosh in the big uh, mosh pit that they have, um, the puppy mosh that they have at Dory. And that was a lot of fun. That's just kind of how it happened. I, you just met other pups who happened to have that um, fetish and they you invited them over to play. That That's kind of how I got involved with it because there were, really wasn't that big of a scene, at least that I was aware of when I first started getting involved with it. You mentioned that not all pups choose to play sexually. Yes. Um, but you choose to, to play sexually. How does that look being sexual in, in pup play? Um, for me, it's um, you just nuzzling and rustling, um, playing around and um some, if you know if you're if you're wearing a singlet while you're pupping out, you know, oh hey, my paw just took off your uh, shoulder strap, and oh hey, I'm gonna tug on your singlet. Or if you're just um, wearing a jock or something, it's like mm, I'm gonna sniff your ass. Um, oh, I see, very animalistic. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. That sounds kind of hot. Hmm. It is hot. I'm getting- <laughs> Kind of getting excited talking about it. Yeah. <laughs> well, the, when you describe it that way, I, I guess I never really identified with, uh, um, like, as a pup. People think that I'm a pup sometimes. Like, the inter- like Michael, Michael Lara has been like, oh, I've been telling people that you're a pup. And I'm like, well, I'm not a pup. <laughs> <Okay>. uh, <laughs> oh, Michael. <laughs> but, uh, you know... It, I'm I'm open to every. I always say try things try things once. If you don't like it, try it twice, and then you 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 know you could be surprised. There's a lot of fetishes that you know I've tried and figured out that I liked, and um, one of them I tried ten times before I realized that it was something that you know I could actually find enjoyment out of. But mm-hmm. so you are Mr. Eagle five six two. What made you want to run for for Mr. Eagle five six two? So the there's a even though the bar itself as Eagle 562 is new um there's actually quite a history in that space. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's been a gay bar there since the early 60s and I believe I don't have the confirmation on this. I think it's the second oldest gay bar west of the Mississippi. The first being Oil Can Harry's over on um, over in the valley. So mm-hmm. we have there's this there's this belief here. There's a belief that a lot of people have that you know there's not a whole lot of gay history here in L.A. It all started in it was in San Francisco and New York, and that's not taking anything away from those cities, but we have a rich history here as well. So and anyway, getting back to it, so. The bar before it was Eagle 562 was called Pistons, and that was my home bar here in Long Beach. And um, I was there for a lot of years, like a dozen years, and then it closed down. And, you know, we've been experiencing the loss of queer spaces uh, all, over, all over the world, and including here in LA, you know, clubs that just disappear. Yeah. And we were. 
we were really afraid that we had lost that space. Um, you know, I went there the last weekend. It was open. Pistons was open, and I just had to leave because it felt like being at a funeral to me. It, I mean, I really, it really felt like a good friend died. And so, um, with something that rarely happens, you know, a queer space that closes has a second lease on life. So. Uh, Michael Barber, who owns um, a couple other bars here in Long Beach, he owns the Falcon, um, and he used to own Paradise, um, bought the bar. And um, he put quite a bit of, um, of investment into it. And when the bar opened again, and they announced that they were going to um, have a contest, I felt like I needed to run. Um, just because Pistons had been such an important space for me. It had been such a welcoming space. It can been all the people that were there were so important in my life that I just felt like I needed to pay that forward and to do whatever I could to make sure that um, Eagle 562 had a, a good foundation. So that's, that's why I chose to run. I'd never been interested in running into, uh, for a contest prior to that. Uh, so how many people were competing with you that year? There were four of us. Four of you, and um, how was that experience for you? Uh, it was it was interesting. Um, it was nerve wracking for me, um, which I was surprised by, um, because I'm not someone who gets nervous um, doing public speaking. Mm -hmm. um, I, have, I have a lot of experience with that, and I, I I do a lot of that for my job. So that was unusual. That was strange. Um, what, I, was it, what was so different about it that you think maybe? No. Um, it wasn't like, maybe it was because I knew, maybe it was because it was people that I knew. So hmm. um, on the mock panels that I did, you know, to prepare, I was just terrified and I just couldn't talk. And um I was having a really tough time. And um, even during the actual, the, like the judging portion of the, the interview portion of the contest, the head judge was like, you know, just, just take a breath. You know, you, we know all of, you know, all of us, we know you just take it easy. Um, but it was, it was really a terrific experience. Um, definitely one of the best experiences of my life. I had been working with a couple people that I'd known in the community for a long time who had helped me to prepare. Um, one of them read my speech is like, yeah, this is a, this is a, this is a good speech, but it's not your speech. Mm. So he really forced me to think about why I was running. And I gave, I think I gave a, a much better speech because of that. And um, my friend, Steve Ganzel, who passed away, uh, at the end of last year, uh, he would say he died. So yes, Steve, yes, you did die uh, at the end of last year. Um, he was a real help to me. Um, he really helped me to um, feel more confident about myself and that I was really doing the right thing by running. And it was important. It wasn't just, just a fluky thing to do that having an Asian man run for a leather contest was important. And that what I had to say was needed to be said and needed to be heard. So both Tommy and Steve really helped me to gain a lot of confidence in myself 
about mm-hmm. being up on stage. And it, it really was um, one of the best experiences of my life. Absolutely. I definitely resonate with the, the platform of, of being a minority up there on, uh, on stage. And still to this day, I don't, uh, maybe I just haven't gotten out enough, but I, I don't know. I don't see a, a lot of Asian men up there representing the community besides yourself. At least I haven't encountered many. Would you say that's true or? Yeah, that, yeah, that is true. There, there aren't that many of us and I don't fully understand why. Yeah, I'm, 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 yeah. I'm racking. I that racks my brain too. Is like, why? I wonder if it's just that. I don't know. Do do Asian men not see themselves as a part of the community just by looking? I think the there's outside? yeah. I think there's a couple things at play. So those of us that have been involved in a, in a higher visibility role as as a title holder, mm-hmm. you know, there's several of us who've kind of chatted amongst ourselves about our experiences and. It is is challenging because Asian folks are they're they're visible but they're invisible. You know they're there, but they're not they're not seen. So amongst a couple of other title holders, each one of us has been mistaken for each other at events, even though we look nothing alike. You know, two of them wear glasses. I don't. Uh, the other two are like super tall and skinny, and I am definitely not a tall or skinny. <laughs> It's like we look, we look nothing apart yet. Each of us has been mistaken for each other. And then uh, at, yeah. at a LA Pride two years ago, somebody, um, an Asian guy from San Jose, is like told me that, oh, yeah, somebody called me Yoshi. I'm like, oh, good. Now I know I've made it because people are mistaking other people for me. So now I'm like, that's that's visibility there. I'm like, now, yeah. now I'm known in the community. So that, that definitely is one of the things. There's also just a, a current of hostility and discrimination against Asian folks. And um, just in general about attractiveness, stereotypes about um, who they are, um, assumptions that they're submissive and they're passive. And that's that's just a lot to deal with. Um, I And I noticed... Well, I've, I've noticed lately that when I do see Asian um, folks involved in the kink and leather scene, they're there, but they're amongst each other because mm-hmm. I think they understand, they, they feel safe, uh, safety in numbers. It's hard. I think it's hard for folks to come in and you just don't see a whole lot of people that look like yourself or, or you have a bad experience and you talk, you try to talk to somebody about it no one can quite understand what you're going through because they haven't gone through it themselves and they're having a difficult time um, believing it or taking it seriously. And, you know, at, at some point, a lot of folks who have tried to be involved have stepped back and said, this is just too much. Uh, it's just too much work and um, I don't want to do that. I don't want to subject myself to that. Yeah, and it's really important for someone such as yourself to show people like we do belong, you know. Mm-hmm. You do belong here. And when, you know, you have like the 21-year-old Asian boy that, you know, comes from Hawaii and, and moves over here, you're going to be that example. He's going to see himself as part of the community because he sees you if you have that visibility. Yeah, and you know, I Saying that this is a job is a little bit, bit of an overstatement, but you know, I, I I have privilege 
in that I've been involved in this community for a while. So I've been able to build up relationships and um, become accepted in the community. And I've grown used to dealing with some of the things that Asian men experience um, in their involvement in the leather community. So I'm, I'm here to make space for those folks. And I'm not really going to, I'm not going to apologize for that Yeah. because that's important for, it's important for a, us as a community. I'm just not going to back down from that. I, you know, folks can sometimes say things like, oh, you know, you're just being too sensitive about it or, oh, that that's not really a problem. Or I've, I've never seen anything like that. It's like, well, you may have, have seen it, but you're not Asian. And I'm going to tell you that that's, this is the reality for, for us. So we're here to, I'm here to just hold space for them. Yeah. It's funny sometimes how like people, they try to identify you on their own understanding and without realizing that you have experiences that may, they may not have had in their own life. Right. And they can't just put this projection on you and tell you you're somebody that you're not because they won't accept it. Yeah. Yeah, Totally. But I think, you know, I, I've not been part of the community for definitely as long as you, but I see visibility being like one of the main things that's pushing the, the leather community forward these last couple of years. Um, for sure. And I think just being present and being yourself is so powerful. And I didn't realize that until when, when I ran for Mr. Bullet Leather and got the title. Um, I know we haven't met in person before, but I'm kind of this uh, skinny Latino boy. I don't know if you've seen me <laughs> before, but, uh, you know, a guy came up to me at the Bullet who I, I met once or twice just as like a patron there. And uh, we had chatted a couple times and he was just like, I had no idea that you could be in, into leather and like, he's like, no offense, but like, and be like a skinny Latino boy, like that just changed my mind about what I think about leather. Yeah. And, and I was like, wow, like, I, I didn't do anything. Like I just was myself. And like, just you being yourself and representing you can show people, you know, that they belong. Yeah, I think it's and you know, one of the most powerful things as a visible demonstration of that has been the class pictures for LAL the last three years. Hmm. My year, 2019, and then now your year. I mean, when I saw your class picture, you know, the one that, that Dusty took, it's like, I, I mean, it was like, wow. It's pretty that, diverse. Yeah, that is, yeah, that is, that is a statement right there. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so I, I wanted to know, uh, it seems like you've been in the community for a long time. Could you put a number to that? Did you say six, 16 years, was it? 17, yeah. 17 years. 17. And I'm curious, what changes have you seen? Um, we already talked about like the, you know, the visibility and um, what other changes have you seen over the last 17 years in the community for good or for worse? I think there's a broadening of acceptance of other kinks or, I mean, and that just may be my own personal bias or exploration of other stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, I think folks are more willing to take a look at other kinks or explore other kinks uh, that they 
may not have been um, comfortable talking about. I've certainly been encouraged with the growing acceptance of trans folk into our community. Um, certainly having Jack Thompson win IML last year was a big part of that. I think seeing people who are not what you would traditionally consider the archetype of leather be involved in our community and become prominent in our community and become respected in our community as that has definitely been a change. Um, here in LA, the, the uh, LALs in the cl LAL classes were primarily, you know, the same kind of archetype for a long time, um, cis white men, but that is, that has begun to change, which is great. Yeah. And like you said, like you said, prominent too. It's not like, it's one thing to just be, you know, to not just to be, but it's one thing to be involved in the community and say like, oh, it's okay for you to be here. But the fact that, you know, we have people like Elliot and, and yourself and, and Jack Thompson and different faces that are holding titles, like holding positions of respect in the community is like a, a whole other thing. Yeah, for sure. I mean, if you had, I was privileged enough to be at IML um, last year to see everyone's speeches. And I mean, if you s heard Jack's speech, I mean, it was, it was powerful. It was important. It was moving. It was all of those things. Um, Elliot's speech last year at LAL, I mean, I cried. It was, it was a magical moment. Um, yeah it's that has been that was one of the most proud moments i've ever had to be part of this community is to see that and to be there to experience that and not only to experience it for myself but to see how um the community responded to that um that's been heartening yeah i think one of the biggest messages that jack communicated was and it keeps ringing in my head and I wasn't there to see his, his speech, but I, I read it. I read part of his speech that, you know, had been put up online. And the, the one line that keeps coming across is if you're enough for you, then you're enough. Mm -hmm. And like, that just goes out to everybody who's listening right now who thinks, Oh God, like I'm so interested in being a part of the leather community or, uh, but ah, maybe I don't really belong. I'm too skinny. I'm too fat. I'm too feminine. I'm too whatever. Like if you can walk into a space and own who you are, then you can go anywhere and people will welcome you here. Well, yeah, that's, that's very true. But I think beyond that, and I think this is one of the things that this is when, this is when the, the community becomes something that's magic is when you step into a space and you can transform yourself and mm -hmm. or or something comes out of you that you didn't know was there and you feel you're, you're you step into a space and something is different about you and it changes how you look at life it changes how you face life even after you leave the bar or after you leave the play party or after you leave somebody's house after um, a session. That's where I think the magic happens. And for folks to feel like they can, for more folks to feel like they can come into that space and become transformed, 
that's when, to me, the community really becomes magic. That's really powerful that you say that. Um, so I have a few questions here that I'd like to ask you, uh, something that I'm just curious about, because sure. you've been um, you know, around for <laughs> a number of years. Is there a fantasy that you haven't played out yet that you would like to? Is there a fantasy? Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Or have you not thought about that? No, no, I've thought about that. Um, I would, I would just, I'm, I, I am an exhibitionist and I enjoy that. Uh, I enjoy public play. It's a lot more complicated now with phones and everything. Yeah. So it was some way that I could pull off some, like a public scene at Folsom or Dory and not have to worry about that. Um, I would be totally in for that. Just be like strapped up to a tree or something and have a nice fucking meal all day. That would be awesome. That'd be really hot. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll be your guard. We can go together okay. and I'll make sure nobody pulls their phone out. <laughs> I've never actually been to Folsom or Dory and I've always wanted to, but um, every time I put it in my calendar to go, I always pick up a like a last minute gig that I can't say no to. And yeah keeps me from going but uh, how how many times have you been to Folsom I don't I don't know maybe between Folsom and Dory maybe about five or six times all right and which which one do you think is more sexual um I like Dory because it's more compact it's more focused and okay. it's not quite there's not as many uh folks with strollers it's um creepsing through. Um, Wait, are there really people that go yes, there with yes, children? Yes, yes, there are. Yeah. I mean, it's aren't, aren't people like fisting and fucking in the street though? Not so much anymore. I mean, it, it's ebbed and flowed over the years. Um, okay. So <laughs> funny story. <laughs> um, years ago, I met, I met somebody who actually grew up on the same street that I did in Hawaii. Okay. And he was like his, um, his babysitter when he was a kid was like somebody that I went to preschool with. So I was up at Dory and my friend from Hawaii, um, who was um, his babysitter was living up in San Francisco. And I guess his job, he was like a volunteer at Folsom and his job was basically to go to people that were fucking around for too long, like you fuck around a little bit and like you give him like, it's like a hockey fight. You give him 30 seconds and like, okay, that's enough. Break it up. <laughs> okay. It's not, unfortunately, it's not quite as um, open frisky as it used to be. I mean, last year was um, a lot, a lot friskier um, than it has been in years past, but you know, you, you can make do um, the Mr. S party beforehand that weekend. The Mr. S basically turns into a, uh, um into a into like a store and bathhouse so that's just a lot of fun see now now you're gonna go now you're not gonna pick up that shift now you're gonna put it in your calendar and you're not gonna pick up that shift <laughs> no i'm not gonna pick up that check at all <laughs> i i see uh you know some porns before of uh and here i am getting hard talking about it uh, right. really? <laughs> uh you know i i've seen uh on Mr. S, you know, like some like clips of those parties and, uh, 
and every time I go in there, I'm like, oh my gosh, what's going to happen in here? Because <laughs> I do go over there a few times a year just to like shop around, mm-hmm. you know? And uh, I remember there was like this Halloween party where they had um, Venom fisting Spider-Man with yeah. like this, uh, they were like in this tub of like, uh, what do you call it? Like J-Lu, but it was like black. So it kind of looked like Venom's like goo. You know, and he was like fisting Spider Man. I thought that was like, the hottest thing. <laughs> <laughs> so over the last, you know, maybe how long? How long has it been now? Five, five to ten years now. We've had all these these apps come out, and a lot of people say that it's kind of ruined the cruise culture in the bars. What do you think about that? Um. Yeah. Maybe. I I think it makes it easier to hook up. Um, and it gives you other options rather than going to the bar. But I, I, I think the other side of it is it's just easier to be gay or to be queer or to be kinky than it used to be. It's especially here in Southern California. I mean, you still have problems. Um, it's still, you still have to be a little careful, you know, about, there's still incidents, right? There, there's still yeah. people who, up and stuff but it's just easier and you don't necessarily need to go to the bar to meet somebody you don't need to put an ad in the back of a um in the back of a gay rag to hook up with somebody so has it ruined cruise culture the apps perhaps but it's it's also easier and also you know what are your expectations of a relationship if you were if you were just hooking up Maybe um, 30, 40 years ago, all you could really hope for was to hook up. Could right. you really be in a stable relationship with somebody? Like, oh, yeah, oh this is my roommate. That, that's, it's a different set of expectations of, of what is possible today. And I think that's changing how our culture, um, find, where, where our culture finds itself. No, you're right. There, there is something to be said about you know meeting somebody in a in a space, and then like certain expectations being tied to that. Like you know, if you're hitting on a guy at the bar, what are the chances that in that sexual first encounter that your relationship is going to be taken seriously in the future, long term? Um, and you know, people meet meet their partners that way. I met my partner on Grinder. Um, but it, it, that was an interesting thing. We didn't actually hook up. Um, for some reason, we treat like I decided that I was going to treat it more like a, like a date. So mm-hmm. we actually didn't even uh, transfer any uh, sexual pictures with each other for like two months. I was wow. like, no, I'm like I'm holding out. Like this guy's like we're going to go on a date. It's going to be real. And we did, we dated for like two months. And then that's when we started like sending each other like pictures and stuff like that. And yeah, it was uh, definitely like the first time, you know, or, you know, one of the few times that that's ever happened. But I mean, I guess you can make a space, whatever it is, like whatever you want it to be, but it's harder, you're right, like to, you know, if you're flagging red on a Saturday night, like what are the chances that you're going to get like a second date and yeah, well, and it's, I think it's also kind of a chicken and egg thing, right? Um, yeah. Part of being here in Southern California is that the culture is a little bit more casual than it is in other places. Right. And, um, 
you know, you go to some of these, some of the bars and even though it might be a, a cruise night or a, a leather night or a bluff night and, you know, they don't enforce the door. They don't enforce dress code. Um, so what are you going to do? Um, right. Years and years ago, one of the bars here in LA um, used to have kind of an unofficial back room. And um, the only way that you would get in, you know, they'd have somebody standing there and like the only way they would, you would get in um, was you have to be in gear. And that was kind of the signal. Mm. Uh, but logistics aside, that just wouldn't happen today. You know, um, I fantasize that, about that. That's unfortunate. I think. Yeah. Yeah. I fantasize about that. I wish that I feel like that's what, um, I don't know. I don't Have you ever read the, the book by Larry Townsend, the, the Leatherman's handbook? Mm-hmm. And he kind of tells stories about experiences and, and some of them, you know, talk about like all the bars and stuff. And um, I hear stories about people, you know, in Europe going to the back of a bar and there's like a maze back there and everyone's fucking yeah. around. And I just feel like that's like the mark of like a real true leather bar. And maybe yeah. that's just because I haven't experienced it to that degree that I fantasize about it and romanticize it. But like, I don't know, like that's just... What, what gets me, I, I just wish it was like that here. Oh, I, yeah, I totally, I agree with you. I mean, I love going to those bars like that. And I think people are surprised when they come here to California and they realize that the bars just aren't like that, you know, because because of the laws we have here. It's like, this is supposed to be liberal liberal California, but yeah, you know, not according to the ABC, you know, it's certainly not. <laughs> no, I thought, oh, it's L.A., like uh, all the gay bars here must be like crazy and they must close at like four in the morning. And it's like, no, it's last call at one thirty. There's no back room and uh, you'll get kicked out if you show your dick. <laughs> like, in, there are spaces and, and times I think when, um, and I won't mention any names, but uh, you know, <laughs> certain things can get a little bit more seedy, uh, which I, I love those moments that I cherish those moments. Cause those are things yeah. I'm, going to remember to the day I die. I mean, one of the hottest, um, one of the hottest sex scenes that I played out was, was at a bar, um, in California somewhere. <laughs> and, uh, I just like, I look back at it sometimes and I just like jerk off. I'm like, wow, I can't believe that actually happened. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I know. I hear you. So what was one of maybe one of your most sexual exciting experiences at a gay leather bar, whether it be here or, or somewhere in Europe or wherever. Um, yeah, there was a club that is no longer there uh, in London. And on Sunday afternoons, they would basically have a part. It was, it was a bar for sure, but mm -hmm. they had a bar and it was really more of a sex club. It was like a sex club attached to a bar. And yeah, it was just so hot. Like, on multiple levels and you'd have a drink and um, it was just an old, it was an old school style cruise place where you just like walk around and, you know, you'd see guys fucking, you'd hear it and you could oh you'd like soak it all in. And that's, that to me is the energy that's like really super hot. And it's one thing to see, see it happening in front of you. I mean, that's really hot too, but 
I almost think it's hotter just to hear what's happening. Like when you can yeah. hear a guy getting fucked and, and he's like screaming and really enjoying it. It's like that. Mm, it's oh my God. A, okay. Okay, we're going to a bar after this, <laughs> after this whole COVID-19 thing gets over, okay? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. No, I love that. And I love the public play, too. And I think you and I probably both get off on that um, kind of like public scene kind of thing, because we're both more exhibitionists. Have you been to Sl- Slammer before? I have, yeah. So there's these these rooms um, where, I, and I don't know, I get in these moods sometimes where I just want to go like out and be seen, but I don't actually want to touch anybody. Mm-hmm. And I remember I went into Slammer and they have like this room with a sling in it where like the, I don't know how to describe it, but it's like a room that everybody can see into because it's like made out of like a plank wall, but there's like spaces in between the planks. So mm-hmm. you can like clearly see who's in the room, right. but you can like lock yourself in there. Mm-hmm. Um, so I like just got totally like naked and like walked around and got people's eyes and then locked myself in that room and just like jerked off on the sling. And like, there was like five or 10 guys like ogling, you know, through, through the, cracks in the wall and like some of them are put pushing their dicks through and everything and like i fucking love that like if we could combine that with like the bar yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> like that would be so amazing yeah uh, i fully agree do you find that you're that people are surprised that you're kind of an exhibitionist and you enjoy that yeah, but I think when they think about it, that it it's under like they're like, oh, okay, I guess that makes sense. Because I think when people see me, they make the mistake of thinking, oh, he's like this shy mm-hmm. little boy, and then I, you know, a part of me gets off on the fact that they think that, and then I show them that I'm not. Yeah. So I I get off on like being seen, and I get excitement and a rush out of that. So, yeah. Yeah, I don't know how it is. I don't know how it is for you, but that is definitely something that I enjoy is, you know, people may have an impression of me as being shy or um, kind of quiet. I mean, but in, in some ways I am, you know, I, I am an, I'm an introverted person. I am quiet, but I also enjoy like really busting up people's impressions of who they think I am. And part of what I enjoy about the public play and exhibitionist play is because I know that there's people that just look at me and like, oh, he's just shy. He's just going to stand in the corner, but um, I'm not going to do that. Right. And I, that, I, I, you can see it sometimes in people's faces and they're like, oh, yeah, I'm really enjoying watching you know your your the, the the wheels in your head just spinning around right now that's, that's exciting to me yeah it, it is kind of being like it, it also it also is in many ways like a passive way of showing like how out there you you can be and like breaking mm-hmm. that that image because like you're not talking to that person you're not going up and like trying to strike up a conversation with them and like you know carry on a dialogue you're just like fucking somebody in front of them and they're like 
what the fuck? <laughs> I don't know. I just love talking about sex. <laughs> so um, I heard on on a, you know one of your other talks talking about a pup family or a leather family. Mm-hmm. Do you have you have your your partner or your husband? Yes. And then do you have other members of that relationship? Yeah. So it's my husband and uh, uh, we have a boy. Okay. Yeah. So that that's what you would call a, a leather family, I guess. That's what, yeah, that's what I would call that. Is that sort of like an open relationship or is that more like polyamorous? How do you describe I mean, that? For sure, for sure it's open because my husband and I do play, we all play with other people. Um, I don't know if I, nece- I mean, it is polyamorous. I don't know if I necessarily call it polyamorous because we don't have necessarily, we don't necessarily have partners outside of this particular relationship. Oh, um, I see. Okay. So open for sure. Um, we have close connections with others outside of the relationship, but I wouldn't call them like <laughs> your traditional polyamorous relationship. <laughs> your traditional polyamorous relationship. That's a oxymoron. Uh, <laughs> so does your boy live with you? Um, yeah. For most, okay. most of the time. So is it like a equal parts or do you, are you guys first and then he's like your boyfriend? Right. How does that, that work? More the, more the latter. So it's okay. we're in the primary relationship and he's, you know, the sub that's part of our relationship. I see. Okay. And how many boys have you had at, at one time? At one time, I think the most we had were two. Okay. Uh, at once. Yeah. And so how do you find a leather fit? Let's say there's somebody out there right now listening and they want to get involved with the leather community. And more importantly, they want to find a leather family. How would you go about doing that? Um, go to the bar. I mean, right. I mean, right now it's going to be a little challenging, Yeah. Um, but what has worked well in the past is going to bars, going to events, um, going to leather events, um, go to an avatar meeting or, other organizations just to meet people you may not necessarily meet somebody that you are interested in at those events but you get plugged in and you start building a network uh, building up a network of people that you can kind of talk to and um they they can introduce you to other people or they may know somebody that you might be interested in spending time with um you know we we didn't really look for this particular type of relationship. Um, when we met, my husband and I um, were in an open relationship, but I don't think we had ever really talked about bringing somebody else into our relationship. It really just kind of happened organically. We, we'd have um, folks, we'd have people would come over to, to play around with, and then you start building up bonds and relationships out of that, you connections that go beyond just uh, the sexual ones. They're they're really more intimate. Some some people can some people build different. Th- these relationships all look different, mm-hmm. right? Some people are purely in it for the you know the the sexual part of it, 
or, or the play part of it, which is fine. Or they're in for it for more of a bonded relationship type thing where everyone is equal. But each of these relationships kind of form and structure themselves in different ways. And they, they change and evolve over time. Someone that you may have been in a primary relationship may, you know, not be in the primary relationship anymore. And they're just a, a friend or they're still like a valued family member, but they're just not in as far, in part in a formal relationship anymore. I think that's one of the beautiful things about leather and kink is it allows you to build these family structures that don't necessarily conform to one right way to do things. I, I think a lot about, you know, what would have happened, you know, what my, what would my life have looked like if I hadn't met my husband on the day that I met him and I hadn't gotten involved in all the stuff that I've gotten involved with and done all the crazy things that, you know, we've done, would my life be happier or, I mean, I don't know, you, you never know, but I certainly think I have a more fulfilled life and a more interesting life for having that. So I'm curious, how did you meet your boy, your, your current boy that you have now in your family? He met my, he chatted with my husband, I think on recon and okay. I came over to play. Um, and the way that he says it, and he, he's like, I just kept showing up and you guys never sent me home. <laughs> <laughs> One day there was a toothbrush and some socks and yeah. at some it, point he was just there. <laughs> much. That's awesome. <laughs> so and this might open up a whole out, another hour discussion, so you don't have to go into too much detail if you don't want to. But uh, I'm curious to know about your dynamic with your family. And are you open with them about the fact that you are in like a leather lifestyle? And and, mm -hmm. and how did you come out to them? Well, um, I came out to them when I was in my mid-20s. And it it did not go well. Uh, my mom basically stopped talking to me for several months and um, my relationship with my dad was very rocky, but we finally kind of managed to build the relationship back up somewhat. And then when I met my husband, that was like the, my first real serious relationship. And then when I told my parents about that, then my dad freaked out and stopped talking to me. So it's been a long, Fortunately, that story has a happy ending. You know, my, my parents have really come around um, when we got um, married. So we got legally married six years ago. And, um, you know, my parents came to the wedding. My aunts and uncles came to the wedding. So they all know we're, we're gay. I mean, it was a big, it was like the biggest family secret for a long time. It's like I was out, but I just, I wasn't allowed to tell the rest of my family. And then finally, I just kind of had enough of it and said, you know, I'm coming home to Hawaii. I'm bringing my husband with me. If, if you want to see us, we're going to be there. If not, that's cool. And that's kind of what broke it all open. And, you know, then we were kind of out to the rest of my, my family. Uh, as far as leather stuff, I don't talk to them about that. I don't think they need to know. I don't, you know, it just is going to bring up too much stuff that I'm yeah. I really don't want to talk about with them. My brother knows. He he actually came down to my step aside 
Um, so that was cool to have him there for that. And my cousin, like my closest cousin knows, but that's it family wise. Right. And did that happen on accident or did it just kind of, uh, you just no. it came up one day? I don't know when, I don't know. I think I told my brother that I was running. Oh, that's right. I now I remember. <laughs> um, so I actually, um, I actually got married on my birthday. And the reason I got married on my birthday was when my husband and I were first dating, he, he just couldn't remember my birthday. And it's all it's the day after a holiday. And um, I said, well, we'll just get married on my birthday. And by then he, he, he knew what it was. But I was like, well, just get married on my birthday. And, you know, you'll never forget. You either, you know, you forget one, you remember one, you're, you know, you're good. He's like, are you, are you sure? I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> my family was down here for the wedding. And then we got married on Saturday. And then Sunday, we went to Pistons because they were having the beer bust. And they wanted to congratulate us for getting married. And I took my brother to Pistons with me. And he, he's, I'm like, okay, are you sure? I'm like, yeah, yeah, he's, he's, I'm fine. So we walk in. And, you know, there's guys in jock straps and, and everything <laughs> and like, okay. Um, and I think, I think there was porn playing on, on the TVs. So it's like, I'm, I'm probably more uncomfortable, uncomfortable about this. Than right. <laughs> and then he, um, then they got on the microphone and said, you know, you guys got married, congratulations. And it's also, it was his birthday, so we're gonna get him his birthday spanking. So he saw me like getting dragged up to the stage to get my birthday spanking. So guys, you know, people were coming up to me and giving me spankings for my birthday, and he is just on the floor, dying laughing. <laughs> so I think that's I think that's how he knew that I was involved in this kind of stuff. Right. But I did tell I did tell him that I was running. I did tell him about everything, you know, and. Um, like he's no family member that knows why I go to Chicago or, you know, why I'm going to all of these different places, you know, why are you go to Chicago over Memorial day? It's like, yeah, I'm just waiting for somebody at work to kind of figure, you know, do the math. I'm like, why are you always going to these places at the same time of the year, every year? Right. All they have to do is a quick Google search. Why are yeah. gays going to Chicago after Memorial day? <laughs> um, yeah, my, my sister actually found out because I needed her to edit a photo of me in leather because mm -hmm. she does Photoshop. And she was like, well, what are you wearing? Like, why are you all in leather? <laughs> and then I was like, oh, I'm running for Mr. Bullet Leather. And she's like, what's that? I'm like, okay, well, I guess I'm going to have to just come out and Damn, say it. <laughs> I was not, uh, I was, she's, she's the one person that I, I could trust with this because, uh, she has her own, um, sexual exhibitionist history, um, which I won't mm -hmm. say over a podcast but, because I don't want to put her out there, but, uh, you know, long story short, she would be the safest person in my family to know. Mm -hmm. um, so I guess that runs in the family. <laughs> Gosh. Okay. So one last question that I have for you. Um, and I try to ask anybody that I talk to in an interview, because I think it's important. Um, part of my 
mission with this podcast is to sort of create a bridge between the older and the newer generations of leather and to bring people into the community with some understanding of the history and, and the, um, the stories of, of the people in the community of the things that they've gone through and how they got here. I want to know to the 17, 18, 19 year old boy who's listening to this right now, who lives out in the Midwest somewhere and maybe has no access to a leather bar and maybe he's not even out yet. What advice do you have for that person? Um, you're not weird. You're not crazy. Um, the things that you're feeling are, are legitimate and they may seem scary and like you're the only person that's ever felt something like that, but uh, you're not. And um, there are people out there that you can trust and that you can reach out to and he'll grab onto you and protect you and uh, help you to grow. There are people out there that are going to put you down and say that you're not, yeah, you don't really belong and you don't know how it is. And it's not like how it used to be in the old days, but you know, that that's their experience and that's, that's their baggage. It's not yours. Each new person that becomes part of our community changes it. And one of the exciting things that I think keeps our community alive and keeps it growing is newer people who come in, younger people who come in with energy and new ideas and new ways to translate and experience the things that we've been doing all our years. It's important to know about history. It's important to know about context. It's important to pay respect to people who have gone before us and the lessons that they've learned and the, the trials that they have gone through. And um, I think a lot of what many older folks interpret as being flip or not respectful is, you, you know, they've, they've never, folk, younger folks have just not grown up in an environment where being gay, being queer was something that really um, could devastate you if it, it became out. And they just don't live with that fear. There may be personal fear uh, and personal consequences of doing that like for family or, or relationships, but it's it's just the, the level of gravity is nowhere near as it, um, no, it's just not there to the level that it was before. So it seems scary, but there are lots of folks out there who are help you here to help you learn and explore and step beyond yourself. And um, yeah, the, a lot of the shit that we do is fun. And I mean, if it's not fun, why are we doing it? But it also has the power to transform who you are as a person. Um, I'm certainly a better person because I'm a leather man, for sure. It's taught me so much. I think it still has, I think it has a lot to offer folks who decide to be part of the community. That's really great advice and uh, spoken from a, a true leather man. Before we go, do you have any, I mean, assuming we're out of this virus soon, do you have any events coming up at Eagle 562 or are you sponsoring or? Um, yeah, I, I, um, a couple things to talk about. One is, um, so right now, hopefully not for too much longer, but who knows, um, you know, we're in the midst of the COVID-19 crisis and the Angel City Emergency Fund is currently raising funds to support 
our community uh, members who are experiencing crisis, you know, from the folks that work at our bars who have lost their incomes or people who have, um, whose gigs have been canceled or, um, you know, have just been laid off because of all of the, the changes that have happened in, in, in our society so quickly. So if you're, if you're able to donate or if you're in need of help, you can log on to our website, uh, www.foundnation, that's F-O-U-N-D, nation.info, and donate or request for help. Um, when things get going again, um, Onyx has its monthly beer bus at Eagle Hawaii, second Sundays of the month. Um, so we are very much looking forward to getting that started again. And um, one event that I really want to do, um, hopefully at some point this year, if um, when, when things get cleared up, is a Fundoshi event at 562. So if you're familiar with, if you're not familiar with a Fundoshi, it's a kind of a Japanese loincloth. Um, I did a Fundoshi event while I was during my title year at Eagle 562, and it was a lot of fun. And I, people have asked me to put on another one, so I'm going to be doing that. So keep your eyes peeled for that. Awesome. And if we wanted to uh, reach out to you, if, if you're open to it, how would we get in contact with you? Um, so I am on Facebook as Pup Yoshi. Um, and also on Instagram as pupyoshi underscore LB. All right. Awesome. Thank you for coming on the show. And uh, I hope lots of people will be listening to you soon. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me on. Before we go, I'd like to do a quick shout out to two organizations, the LA Leather COVID-19 Assist. If you or someone you know is in need of any assistance picking up groceries, handling any necessary tasks during this time of COVID, please reach out. Additionally, if you are in need of any supplies, please check out the LALC and Bullet Bar Pantry. I will have links for these in the description below. Once again, you can find me on Facebook as Brandon Bullet, Instagram and Patreon as a Leather Talk Mr. Bullet, and please take some time to rate and subscribe. It really helps promote the visibility of this podcast, and I would really, truly appreciate it. And as always, stay healthy, stay safe, and stay kinky.